Welcome to Wealth Made Simple with Shaz, where you'll learn how to master your money through business, property, and tax-saving strategies. Your host has collectively helped his clients make tens of millions of pounds in additional profits through these strategic approaches to business. Introducing Shaz Nawaz, an award-winning chartered accountant, property tax expert, entrepreneur, and property investor. I'm going to share with you, first of all, my own story of when I started my journey with Progressive, and when I was sat somewhere over there, which was about six years ago, and I'll share with you how I got there. Uh, and then if we've got time, we'll talk about tax. Does anybody have any tax questions, by the way? So nobody has any, any questions on tax, bar one person who was very kind to allow me to take the water before she did. So should we answer your question now or later? Do you have a preference? No, you can choose. Now, and your name is? Dahlia. Hi Dahlia. Can you possibly summarize the benefits of, I'm doing a remortgage at the moment, whether I should do it in a limited company or in my personal bank and go for the purchases? How long do you have? <laughs> we need, the, it, yeah, that's my favorite answer, yeah. You obviously know me too well because you've heard me many times. Uh, it does depend, in fact. So let, that question is very wide in scope. Let's narrow it down. So is the situation that right now you have a job somewhere and property? No? No, self-employed. Okay, so you're self-employed, working for yourself, doing property or something else and property? Property and e-commerce. Property and e-commerce. And does that take you into the higher rate of tax? So are you... So I'm generalizing now because it's difficult to answer that question. So if it's going to take you into the higher rate of tax, right now as things stand, you're better off having property in a company because Section 24 then won't affect you. Yeah, so you, so, but if you own the property in your own name and you're looking to refinance it, and then you want to refinance it into a company, then you've got capital gains tax and stamp duty land tax to uh, think about. So, are you, so you said you're looking to remortgage a property. Uh, is that one property or a number of properties? So you own that property right now. And how long have you had it for? 20 years. And is there a big gain on it? So the problem you've got is if you move that into a limited company, you'll have to pay capital gains tax and possibly stamp duty land tax. Uh, and looking at those figures, it might not be worth you doing that. Going forward, you can buy future properties in uh, a limited company, possibly, depending on your self-employed business, reduce your income from that if you can do, okay? So you'd stay well below the higher rate of tax, uh, and then Section 24 won't affect you for that one property. Does that help? Yeah. Any other questions on that? Cool. Anybody else have any questions on tax? You're good. Your name is? Uh... I'm Ross. Hi, Ross. Ross. Do you have any advice uh, about enterprise investment scheme to kick capital gains down the road? It's, if you have a capital gain and if you can find a company uh, which you believe in and you think it's going to do well, because the whole point of the enterprise investment scheme is it, it's high risk. Mm. So you could invest your money in it 
and at the end of five years have nothing left over. But if you can find a good company which has qualified for EIS, invest in it, very good for capital gains tax and income tax. Yep. So I'm a big fan of those schemes. But you've got to find the right one. If the company fails, are you still liable for the CGT then? You, as long as you keep your money in there for five years, no. Yep. And you get, and, and if, if it fails, you, you also can reduce some of your income tax as well. Uh, but you don't have to invest all your money in one company. So what you can do is find five or 10 or 15, diversify, spread the risk. So if one, two or three fail, one, two or three may do well. And the other it's six to nine may do nothing. So I'd say, depending on how much you've got, spread it over a number of companies. Yep. But you've got to do that within one year of having made that capital gain. Yep. Did you have a question, my friend? Um, just um, maybe it would be helpful to everyone if you could go through the methods of getting an existing personal portfolio into a company without all the paying taxes and, and everything, the rough costs of it. So incorporation? Okay, anybody else have any questions on tax? Yes, sir. Your name is? Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Thank you. Was that enough for you? Did, did you feel the love, Jeff? Did you feel the love? No is the answer. Your name is? Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Thank you. Um, I'd like to add a little P to your question. And, and it might also be a step of the same in, in your corporation. I've heard LLP can be a route, but what if you buy in an LLP in the first place? Are there advantages, disadvantages? Okay, we'll try and cover that as well for you. Thank you. Is that a hand at the back, or are you having a good old stretch? You're having a stretch, cool. Anybody else over there? Hi, your name is? Hi, Steve. Uh, I just want to know, when you're starting out, do you register for VAT? Okay. Peter, we're doing well here. We've got limited companies, LLP, VAT, we'll have SDLT, corporation tax, inheritance tax, fuel DT, well, business rates, shall council tax. Shall we do this? First? Yeah. Maybe you should do a course. Maybe I should do a course, you're right. That's a good idea. Why did I think of that? Anyone else? No? Okay, we're going to park these three up. And Peter, you're going to do me a huge favor, but because I've been told I need to finish by 5.30, so we've got 45 minutes. If I spend 20 minutes boring them first so they fall asleep, that means I can finish early, Peter, yeah? So, so in about 15 minutes, you can remind me of 20 minutes to stop, and then with this, we'll cover in 20 minutes, but no doubt you'll have some questions. But share, share my own experiences with you. I need to remind myself where I started. I decided to buy my first property, which is this piece of land here in Mavis Enderby, uh, which was 11.8 acres. At that time, I'd saved up a reasonable amount of money. So I bought this piece of land for 140,000 pounds. And being a smart ass, I thought I'd use some of that cash to buy the piece of land. So number one, if you don't take anything else away from this particular talk, take away the fact just because you've got money in the bank and it may be burning a hole in your pocket, do not invest or spend it unless you know it's a good deal. People make that mistake quite often and I did too. So I bought the piece of land and I was told I can get planning for six five bedroom houses with triple garages in a small village. Now I'd never been to Mavis Enderby, I've got no idea where it is, 
For your benefit, it's near Spilsby, which is near Mablethorpe, which is somewhere in East Lindsay District Council. Okay, which is far away from Peterborough, very far away from Peterborough. No idea where that is. Okay, I bought the piece of land, we applied for planning, I was referred to a planning consultant local to this particular area, former chairman of the planning committee. That made sense, so I thought this guy knows what he's talking about. Paid him about 10, 12,000 pounds. The application goes in, uh, and then we see about 64 objections uh, on the planning portal. So I decide to go and visit the place. And I establish there's only about 12 people who live in that bloody village. So where the other 52 odd uh, objections came from, I have no idea. Anyhow, long story short, the planning doesn't go through. I then sacked that planning consultant, because it's, it's always the other people's fault, isn't it? It's not our fault, so he's, he's crap. So I find somebody else in London, a uh, uh, planning barrister, and he comes up with a good idea to apply for 14 three-bedroom houses. So we do that. Lo and behold, when the planning application goes in, apparently they've changed part of the local plan, so this particular piece of land is not part of the local plan. So that planning application fails. Okay, by and now, in case you're wondering, Andrew, I'm about 250 grand light, all right? Uh, and uh, you don't want to know what I said to my wife, by the way, you don't. Uh, and this particular planning consultant's pretty sharp, though, so uh, he was really good. He came up with the idea, he said, the planning uh, department have said, you can't build homes or houses on this piece of land, but because it's in an isolated location. So he said, what that means is, it qualifies for paragraph 79. Has anybody come across paragraph 79? By, by, so paragraph 79 basically is houses that are built in an isolated location, the kind of stuff you see on grand designs. So, so we then employed a, an, a, an architect who specializes in paragraph 79, applied for planning, uh, and the planning department in East Lindsay wanted us to go to something called the design council. So here you got three folk basically who know a lot about design, know a lot about planning, and know a lot about landscaping, that type of stuff, okay? Yeah, so we're sat there talking about stuff uh, and I'm sharing with them uh, why this house is perfect and why this house would be a perfect family home for me. Uh, and from the three people, one was a woman, two were, two, two were male, the, the woman who was clearly the, the smart one, she, and she said, Mr. Nawaz, the house is perfect yeah, because it, it has to be an exceptional design for the design council to pass it through. Uh, but we only, I only have one concern. You said, said you've got children. The landscaping doesn't work for your children. So unfortunately, on that basis, we can't uh, approve this particular plan. By the way, that cost me 12 grand to have that meeting. Okay, so we go back, change the landscape, go back to them again. They still don't like it. Long story short, by this time, even the head of planning at East Lindsay is a bit peed off. And he says, I think they're being a bit unfair. We're going to give you planning for this particular house. So now I've got planning for a house in East Lindsay, uh, which cost me about 350,000 pounds to build this super duper home. So I've got two choices now. I can either sell it or I can build it. If I build it, it costs me 750 grand. If I sell it, I've got to find a buyer. Nobody wants to buy it, by the way. So uh, that was my first mistake on 350 grand. Around about six months in from having done this, I met a farmer from Grantham. She's got 12.2 acres of land. She's, she's got no cash, which is 
generally the scenario with farmers, asset rich, cash poor, a bit like property investors, uh, and uh, at least somebody appreciated that, didn't they? Uh, and uh, so I entered into an option agreement to apply for planning. And the farmer was quite keen to use Savills. So the Savills office based in Leeds. So we appointed them to go through the planning application and they said we could apply for planning for 125 houses. So I thought, good, I'm gonna make all the money back on Mavis Enderby plus Grantham, okay? So but this time next year, I'm made. So I've, I've now spent 150 grand with Savills because they don't come cheap. The planning application goes in, the planning officer doesn't like it, 100 houses becomes, sorry, 125 houses become 100 houses, 100 becomes 75. Then there's this big massive case going through uh, South Castevan District Council, I think is where we, Grantham's part of. So they say, wait for that case, we wait two years, that particular case doesn't go through, the planning falls through. So then we, uh, Savile thinks it's a good idea, we should go to the planning inspectorate, we go to the planning inspectorate, that cost me 50 grand, so gave another 50 grand to, to them, that didn't go through either. So now I've got 11.8 acres in Mavis Enderby, I own part of 12.2 acres in Grantham, I'm thinking, this whole thing's a bad idea, okay? So, so I'm about there. So I think, let's, let's go small, Shaz, big is not good. Big doesn't work, let's go small. So St. Paul's Road is in Peterborough, uh, it's about three miles from here, four, four miles from here. We find a piece of land, uh, it's, belongs to the local council, it's going to auction through a local agent. I talked to the agent uh, and the agent said you can have this piece of land for 97,000 pounds. So I had a, a, a joint venture partner uh, and he was keen to go to auction. So I said, okay, fine, take it to auction, but whatever you do, don't pay more than 97 grand because we can buy that for 97 grand now. He goes to auction, does the whole thing, rings me up in the evening, Shaz, good news, we've secured the land. Fantastic. How much do we pay for it? 117 grand. <laughs> yeah, Pillock, what happened to you? And his answer was, I got excited. <laughs> so he got excited and it cost me 10 grand extra. That's not a good place to be. Anyhow, long story short, we did that, we applied for planning for five two-bedroom apartments. That planning went through, and uh, I've still got this particular development. I've bought him out, okay? Uh, but we made probably 120 grand uplift on that, all right? So that wasn't too bad. From there, I ended up back in Boston, bought this uh, uh, property, empty for 13 years, a whole lot of tax savings there, which I might talk about some other time. Uh, bought it for 375,000 pounds. By this time, remember, I've got no cash left because I've got best part of 350 grand stuck here, 200 grand stuck here. So I come across this particular concept, which I did not believe in, called no money down. So other people's money and I do the deals. So I thought this is a lot of, but let's give it a go. So I found someone who had some cash, all right? And while talking to them, Okay, I've got a very bad 
memory, I forgot to tell them about these two deals. I totally forgot. But I told him about this particular deal here. I said, I've made it work, I'm experienced, I know what I'm talking about. You wouldn't be giving your money. I'm an accountant, I'd never lie to you. Long story short, he believed me, and he paid 375,000 pound, three, sorry, 395, to buy this particular uh, project, development. We then needed 474,000, I think it was, to refurbish it, which we did. Uh, so long story short, let's call it, it cost us 900 grand. End value for this was 2.1 million, okay? None of my money. So this worked pretty well. So I've got a 100 odd grand here, uh, 1.2 million sh shared between two here. Same person here that we bought this particular property uh, in Peterborough for 500,000 pounds. Obtained planning for 12, Flats, six one bedroom, six two bedroom, uh, and we made an uplift of, I think it's about 550 grand, but we call it 500 grand. And this finished Feb 2020 last year. This one here, we finished in Feb 2021, so about three or four months ago. Uh, this was refinanced with Interbay, and this is being refinanced through Aldermore. Same guy again, I found a piece of land in uh, Boston, I, I seem to like Boston for some reason. Found a piece of land in Boston, on sale for 395,000 uh, pounds. Did a deal for 350,000 pounds just before COVID. But we established that the planning was about to expire in about two months time. So they had outline planning and you have to apply for detailed planning within a certain time frame. It's about to expire, so I go back to the seller and say, there's no way I can put the reserved matters application in within two months, so therefore I can't pay you 350 grand, but I'll pay you 315 grand if you're interested. And they said, fine, pay us 315. So pay them 315 using the money from the same guy, then it cost us 75,000 to go through reserved matters. Uh, so it's cost us best part of 400 grand or thereabouts. We've got planning for 40 houses. Uh, so the uplift on that was about 450 grand. And we're just about to start building on that. Uh, and 100% of the build cost is funded by a particular lender. At the same time, so this is, so we're going to make 1.6 million pounds on that. At least that's what the spreadsheet says, by the way, okay? How much we make, I'll share with you probably in about, uh, I'll share with you in about, 12 months time, but that's what the spreadsheet says. And spreadsheets never lie, do they? No. God, no, no. Same time, Bicker 2, there's a piece of land next door to it. And by the way, uh, we did a, an option agreement with no deposit, nothing, so we pay the full funds once we get full planning. Now, once you've got outline planning, you're going to get detailed planning, but I was keen not to tie up any funds whatsoever. Same thing again, we're doing in Bicker for nine houses, paid 270 grand, reserved matters is in, that probably go through in about three or four months time. So once we've built the 40 houses, we're, gonna, we're going to build the nine houses next door. Then the same thing again in Butterwick, which is probably about three miles from Bicker. Uh, we're buying it for 470 grand, I think, planning for 26 houses, uh, and the uplift on that is about 850 grand, uh, and that's just about to go through. And then we bought the main post office in Boston. Again, same premise as these ones here, uh, and the uplift on that is gonna be quite big. It's about 1.2 million, because we're going to uh, 
apply for planning for change of use, plus it's got some land on the side, so we'll have an extra, I think, eight to 10 flats. So I started off using my own money, and as things have progressed, I'm now using other people's money, and that seems to work better for me. So, so, so if you've learned nothing else, just remember, don't use your own money. Don't use your own money. Use somebody else's money, okay? That seems to work better. No, I, I, seriously, I think I'm more focused, because I'm, I'm using somebody else's money, I'm more conscious and aware that I've, I've got to make the deal work. I think that works better for me. When I'm using my own money, I think I'm too relaxed about it. And that's why I've, the first two I've, no, well, the top ones worked okay, by the way, because uh, even if I build it myself on a serious note, I'll probably make about 300 grand, which probably isn't, well, it, it isn't as good as some of these deals here, but that's where I started. Yeah, and sometimes, I don't know all of your backgrounds and your history, but sometimes, especially in property and in business, everybody has to pay their entry fee, okay? I call it your entry tax. And that is the, the mistake or a mistake or a number of mistakes you make in order to become sharper. We all have to pay that, guys and girls, okay? So, so, so I think here I've survived. This might be my entry fee where I lose about 200 grand. But in the whole scheme of things, if I lose 200 grand here with everything I've made here and some, it ain't too bad. So if I can do all this stuff here, the point of sharing the story with you is not talk, to talk about my deals. The point is, if I can do all this stuff here, I assure you, no matter what your background and experience, knowing me as I do, and you don't, but knowing me as I do, I can assure you, you can all do much better than that. The only one thing you have to do, which you already know is, you gotta, stuff you gotta take action okay if you take action I assure you you'll do these deals and much much better quite often what I find is we all come up with too many questions objections hurdles in our mind about how we're good not good enough or how things are going to go wrong but having five businesses uh, and having mentored lots of people and I've done over 3,000 business growth consultations now uh, I can tell you, most of the objections and the hurdles and the questions you come up with in your mind, they're never going to happen, by the way. They're never going to happen. So stop overthinking all that stuff and thinking, well, if what people find out, I haven't got the experience, what if I haven't got the money, what if something goes wrong, what if the bank manager dies or whatever else, okay? Most of that stuff doesn't happen. Some of it may do, so you just got to get out of your own way and do stuff, okay? Because success for you guys and girls, I assure you, because I've been there, Success for you is just around the corner. You're not far away. You're two, three, four, five steps away from really breaking it through and making it, whether you want to do single lets, service accommodation, commercial conversions, new builds, deal sourcing, whatever your strategy or your strategies are, you're not that far away from success because I was there five years ago. And that's the stuff I've done in five years, by the way. All right? And you can do that and some. So, my friend, back to you. Incorporation. It's always. Any particular question or just general incorporation? I guess it's for anyone who's got an existing um, portfolio of properties in the personal name, so pre-2016, and what are a few different methods for getting them outside Section 24 with a minimum of pay? So we'll cover one, which is uh, incorporation, okay? So Mr. and Mrs. Smith own Oh, Mr. Smith owns 10 properties, which he has done for a number of years. He has a, 
a wife, could have, could be a husband, but in this particular case, he has a wife, Mrs. Smith, who doesn't own the properties. He's a higher rate taxpayer and finds out Section 24 will affect him. He'll have to pay a ton of tax. So his options are stay as he is, give some of the properties to his wife, sell the entire portfolio, okay? Or possibly incorporate. Now, if he moves those properties into a limited company, his main challenge is he'll have to pay capital gains tax. But then you've got Section 162 incorporation relief, which if he qualifies for it, he won't have to uh, pay capital gains tax. So if you can demonstrate you have a business, okay, not a trading business, generally speaking, owning property, holding on to it is an investment business, and most tax reliefs are available to you if you have a trading business. However, for Section 162 purposes, the way that the rules are written, it doesn't use the word trading business, they use the word a business and property is a business. So as long as you've, you can demonstrate you have a business, and there's a case that went, there's two cases that have gone to tribunal, but the popular one is the Elizabeth Moyn Ramsey. Okay, so you can have a look at that online. Okay, just type in the incorporation Ramsey case and you can read about it. If you meet the rules for incorporation, Mr. Smith can incorporate, and he won't have to pay capital gains tax. The problem for him is, he'll have to pay stamp duty land tax. And that could be quite significant. So an, so an option for him is if he genuinely gives some of the properties or a share of all of the properties to his wife without any intention of incorporating right now or in the near future, and his wife has a share in the properties, they run that business as a partnership or an LLP for a number of years, let's say three years, with no intention of incorporating, and in say three years time, they then wish to incorporate, because they're a partnership, they possibly won't have to pay SDLT, unless the rules change, yeah? When they incorporate, uh, they'll have to refinance, and there is an opinion out there that you don't have to refinance. I think it's best to refinance. Uh, it's just simpler, straightforward. You can just, uh, rather than doing a, a deed of trust, uh, but, if you did do a, a deed of trust, that works too. But I just think refinance, there's a whole lot there. Uh, and uh, you don't get any cash back, back, you get shares in return for your equity in the properties. And then everything's stuck in the company, no section 24, but if you're taking money out, you may have to pay income tax depending on how much you take out. So you can take a salary and use your personal allowance, then you can take an additional 2,000 pounds for your dividend, and then any additional dividends, you pay tax. Any disadvantages to incorporation, or would you um, would you incorporate if you had a bunch of personal property at the moment, or would you? I think if you're a, if you're a high rate taxpayer, it, it makes a lot of sense to do that because the Section 24 charge is going to be quite high. If you can avoid the uh, capital gains tax liability, if you can avoid the stamp duty land tax uh, liability, it's well worth doing. But that's only, that's only if you've got mortgages to pay, so you'll be paying tax on the interest. Well, if you haven't got mortgages to pay, why do you want to incorporate? Just to stay as you are, okay? Unless you're paying a lot of ta tax and you're thinking, well, I want to incorporate because all the profits I make from my property are then recycled into buying more property, so why pay 40 or 45% tax? When I, can, when I can pay 19% corporation tax and use 81% 80, of the funds to reinvest in further property, 
unless that's the reason, you don't want to incorporate because Section 24 is not affecting you. In line with the question over here, yeah? yeah. Any questions on that? No? Or we have? Your good name is? Adam. Hi, Adam. So, in your scenario, when you move from private ownership into LLP, does ownership actually change? So, obviously, when you incorporate, the ownership of the property goes to the corporation, doesn't it? So, when you go to LLP, does ownership from individuals actually change? It, it doesn't have to, because in an LLP, you can own, say, 90% of the company, I can own 10%, and then when you introduce the properties to the LLP, they're sat on your capital account, so you've got ownership of them, but I've got a, a right to any of the income, okay? I'm thinking of prior mortgages, so it's like if I've had a buy-to-let mortgage in my personal name, and then I put it into an LLP, sometimes they get a bit... It, depends. it depends on the terms and conditions. If the terms and conditions say if there's a change in legal or beneficial ownership, you have to let us know, then they will get twitchy. If that's not in the terms and conditions, then you don't have to uh, inform them, but it is good practice to do so. If you do do so, by the way, they will say to you, you need to refinance. Yeah, yeah no worries. Any other question on that? No, cool, okay. LLP, whose question was this? Okay, the, and the question was? Yeah, well, you probably actually already covered it because I had heard about an LLP as a potential stepping stone to incorporation. Without, without, sorry, without, without you having predetermined that is a stepping stone. Yes, but that's, that's noted. Yep. Of course, we have no idea. That's why I mentioned it. You're just, yeah, that's right. You're just talking about LLP here. That's good. Okay. Yeah. But then what we found is the rates that you tend to get for finance tend to be higher in a limited company and I'm sort of assuming LLP. So the net effect may not be quite as good as you might think it would be. You're right, cause, because on, on a limited company... Hi, Mark. Hello. You're right. For a limited company, I mean, the, the, the deal in Boston, we were with Interbay, it's 4.74 fixed for five years, which is higher than what we would pay in our own names. Yeah. The one for New England Club is with Aldermore, which we're going to complete on Friday uh, in two days' time. I think that's 4.24 fixed for five years. So, yes, you're right. The arrangement fees may also be higher as well. So 1% arrangement fee, but you can negotiate that depending on the size of the deal. Yeah. So, arrangement fee is going to be similar, but the interest rate will be higher. Yeah, so you just need to do that calculation to make sure it works. Okay, but nobody really talks about LLP as a vehicle. It's either personal or limited. Is there any advantage for LLP in place of limited or is it just as a stepping stone, even though you have no intention of doing the incorporation? So an LLP is a good beast. It's very flexible uh, because you've got a capital share ratio, which is kind of, I'll cover that very briefly with you. Then you've got a profit share ratio. Uh, so simply speaking, if you have a limited company and you own 80% 80, 80 of the shares, I own 20% of the shares and the ordinary shares, if you take a dividend of say 8,000 pounds, I have to take 2,000 pounds, okay? Because that's in line with the 80-20. Uh, I can do a dividend waiver, starts getting complicated, HMRC don't like it, they might come and have a look, causes problems. If you and I have a partnership or an LLP, 
and you own 80% and I own 20%, but in one particular year, you say, Shaz, I'm not, I don't really need the cash. And I say to you, I need the cash. I can take 90% of the profits, you take 10% or you don't take anything, that works okay. So you've got that flexibility, you've then that flexibility helps when you've got children, then they are ordinary members of an LLP, uh, and so you can give them some of the profits which aren't in line with their profit share ratio. It's easier to run usually compared to a limited company. There's more flexibility. If you're looking at having company cars, if you've got a limited company, you're gonna have to pay company car tax. Electric cars are quite tax efficient right now through a, a limited company, but as time progresses, I think they're gonna charge us higher rates. LLP, there's no company car tax because you as partners are the business. Uh, therefore, you only make a, uh, you include something at the end of the year for personal use. So you say, I, I drive the car 70% for business use, 30% for personal use. So you only claim 70% of the costs, but there's no company car tax to pay. So those kinds of things are beneficial in an LLP. It's a very flexible arrangement, one that I think you ought to be looking at and using it in your wider property business. Yeah. And it takes you out of section 24? No, it doesn't. Oh. Only a, a limited company does. This is what I'm saying, in, in your wider property uh, business and uh, looking at the kind of strategy you, you're using, it can save you, a, it won't save you tax, but it'll give you a lot of flexibility. Sometimes may save you tax too. The general problem is most accountants don't understand LLPs, so the minute you, you talk about them, they say, no, 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 over here, okay, let's talk about limited company or in your own name, okay? But I, I think you should all explore this, because I've used LLPs uh, on a, a number of occasions, and to good effect, yeah. So always uh, worth looking at, especially if you're doing commercial conversions or service accommodation. Good strategy. Happy with that? Yes, thank you. Any other questions on LLPs? Cool. Whose question was VAT over there? Yeah, um, so I have a limited company and I keep getting, um, depending who you talk to the day, different advice about whether it should be registered as a VAT, because I'm told that you have to pass the VAT on to um, if you register. So let's look, at your, let's look at your scenario. So you have a company or are you buying property in your own name? Uh, limited. limited company. And are you looking to buy single lets or commercial conversions or something else? Uh, commercial conversions. Okay. And so you're looking to buy a commercial property right now possibly? Yes. Okay. And does the commercial property have an option to tax, i.e. is the seller charging you VAT on the transaction? Okay. So what's the advice you've had so far? Um, it's all around claiming from from builders, um, so that the VAT they charge, that's where it's come in. So should I be registered so we can start claiming against those those costs? And what's the advice you've had so far from the people you've spoken to? So I've had one person say you're claiming back all, all of those expenses at the moment because it's going to be about uh, 400,000 build costs plus whatever the VAT. So 80 grand on that, or, or if, you, if, you, if you think a, a commercial conversion is going to be 5%, but yeah, yeah. so um, but 20 grand. Said, it's, it's not worth it by the time you get round to, I think I'm going to keep the property and rent them out, it will cause complications. Okay, and from the advice you had, which view do you prefer? 
<laughs> I like the mixture where I don't have to charge the VAT on top for the, for the rental, so I don't know if there's a rule around that. Okay, let's, let's try and help you with that first. Do we charge VAT on rentals? No. 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 Is there ever a situation where we charge VAT on residential property? Not till Rishi thinks of it. Not until Rishi thinks of it. And I don't, I don't think he is because it's not worth his job, by the way. He get fired. Do you have to charge it if you claim VAT on the building materials? No. No. Rental income is an exempt supply for VAT purposes. So my friend, you never charge VAT on residential property. Commercial you do. So let's look at your scenario in the next 7 minutes and 55 seconds. You're about to buy a commercial property and it's a, it has an option to tax. How much are you buying the property for? Uh, 200. 500 grand, yes, that's a good number. Nice and easy. I like that. And the VAT on 500 grand is? 100,000 pounds. Okay, so if you're having to pay the VAT, what's the first problem you've got? You've got to find the cash, okay? Uh, and if you don't have the cash in your pocket, you go to a bank, so you'll have to pay arrangement fees, you'll have to pay interest, okay? Once, once you've paid the VAT, what's the, what's the first thing an accountant or you may think of doing? Claiming it back. Who are you going to claim it back from? The tax man or woman, but okay, AHMRC. Uh, is that an enjoyable thing to do? Do HMRC like giving money out? No. no is the answer, okay? So you've got pain of finding the money, you've got then pain of trying to get the money back, okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing for you is, if you're buying a property with an option to tax and you're paying VAT on it, you're going to pay stamp duty land tax not on 500 grand, but on 600 grand, yeah? So basically, you're paying tax on tax, yeah? Uh, and that's not enjoyable either. So you have two options, and I think Ray was talking about one, which is a VAT 1614D. So the person that you're buying from, you could submit a, a VAT 1614D. If they accept it, then you don't pay VAT, and you do not have to register for VAT. But you have to make clear your intention that you're looking to convert the property to residential. If the, the seller does not accept the VAT and then the, the, does not accept the VAT 1614D form and they're under no obligation to do so, then you've got an option to avoid paying the VAT and that is if the property has a sitting tenant who has at least three months to go on their lease or will occupy the property for three months or longer, then you can use the transfer of going concern rules Okay, TOGC, and you don't have to pay the VAT, which saves you finding the money and claiming it back. But you have to register for VAT, and going forward, you must charge VAT on the commercial rent if you're going to rent it out commercially, and you have to charge VAT when you sell the property. Okay, so VAT uh, 1614D or TOGC or pay the VAT and reclaim it back, yeah? Those are your, th your, your three options. VAT 1614D is the best. Now you've bought the property and you're looking to convert it. When you convert the property, if you increase the number of dwellings, or you reduce them, or you buy a house which has been empty for two years or longer, you only pay 5% VAT on the refurb, yeah? And that's 5% on the labor costs. If you buy the materials yourself, you have to pay 20% VAT. If you outsource labor and material, 
then you only pay 5%. So it may be worth it to outsource the whole lot depending on how much you're going to be spending on the materials. Once you've done that, if you intend to sell all the properties, and when you sell to properties, do we charge VAT? No. Is there ever a situation, apart from commercial property, that when we're selling residential property, we charge VAT? No. So if you're selling properties, or if you're going to sell those units, then you can claim back the VAT. And do that as you go along, because it'll give you a cash flow advantage, yeah? If you're going to hold on to the properties, can you claim back the 5% the VAT or no? Our friend here says no. Anybody disagree with him? You don't disagree with him. You don't agree with him? You don't disagree with him. You don't disagree with him, okay. We don't okay. So, so if, if you're going to keep hold of the properties, generally speaking, you don't claim back the VAT because if you claim back the VAT, you're not going to charge VAT on the rent and HMRC will come and say to you, hold a moment, you claimed back VAT, but you're not making valuable supplies, therefore all the VAT you reclaimed, can we have that back, okay? But there is something you can do, and this is not easy, it's complicated, but if you go to uh, a good accountant or tax advisor, they can help you. You buy uh, the commercial conversion in a, a, let's say, a limited company, then you set up a second limited company, and this becomes your management company. You grant a lease of longer than 25 years, 21 years, longer than 21 years. So this has to be done properly, guys and girls, but I'm just quickly sharing it with you so I can, you can raise your awareness to it. Grant a lease of longer than 20, 21 years, and when we grant leases, you may have to pay stamp duty. You have to pay stamp duty on leases too. However, if this company owns 75%, or more of this company, in this case it's going to be 100% because you own both companies, but if this company owns 75% or more of this company, then you claim group relief, so there's no stamp duty to pay on the lease. So you, so you avoid that. Once you've granted the lease, okay, which is a major interest in land and property, you can then claim back the 5% VAT, and this company then manages all the rentals for you. However, something you need to be aware of, obviously, this company then pays you something, keeps its own funds, the funds it keeps itself, call it commission or call it management fees, call it whatever you like. If they exceed the VAT threshold, this company will have to register for VAT. But that's a long way down the road because you, you need to own quite a few properties for this company to exceed the VAT threshold based on charging you, say, 10% fees. Happy with that? Yeah. That gets you the VAT back and you keep the properties, and you charge the rent, and you don't charge, and then the, there's no VAT issue for you going forward. How's that? That's great, thank you. Cool. So we've got one minute left, Peter. Can we take one final question, if anybody has a question? Does anybody have one final question? I mean, this is a chance before we all my friend, go for it. Uh, does it have to be directly belong to that company, or if you have a holding company here, if you have a holding company here, or here, okay, and then you've got this one here, and it's 100% owned, and this one here is 100% owned, this owns this 100%, that works okay, but to keep it really simple, what I would do is holding company owns 100%, this owns 100% of this, and go one, two, three, keep it simple. 
But you can have it there as well, by the way. We've done that too. It's, it, it's still a 75% group for group relief purposes, so you'll be fine. Okay? Thanks for listening to Wealth Made Simple. You can follow and contact Shaz on the Facebook pages Entrust Property Tax and The Profits Wizard. You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.